Hey, if you have a Bible, and I hope you have a Bible, if not, no worries, because we're going to put stuff up on the screen. Please turn in the New Testament. You find the book of Galatians. All right, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and then you hit all the epistles, the letters, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Find Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to be looking there. Anyway, I'm really glad to be here because if you haven't been to Portland, it rains a lot, like a lot. And so the jokes are, move to Portland if your favorite color is gray. And um, the rain in Portland is just like Jesus. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. <laughs> so whenever I get invited to come to California, the answer is, let me pray about it. Yes. And so um, it's great to be here. But actually, Portland is beautiful, especially when it's sunny and it's green. So come visit us anytime. Let us know you're coming and come say hi. Uh, the message I want to share tonight, uh, this is the second time I've, I've shared it. Well, I guess we have four gatherings, so it's the fifth time. But I shared this message a few weeks ago at our church. We just finished a series from Galatians chapter 5 on the fruit of God's Spirit. Uh, In Galatians 5.22, we see a list of nine character qualities that describe for you and me what God is like. The God who made you, the God who made the universe. They give us a picture of who he is. And what he's like. And one of these nine qualities is the virtue of patience. And that's what I want to talk to you about this afternoon. But I want to read uh, not just this one verse, but a few other verses, because we're jumping into this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of churches in the Galatian region, which is now modern day Turkey, up in the highlands. And these are churches gathering groups like the collective. In fact, this was the collective of churches that he wrote this letter to. And no time tonight to tell you about the Apostle Paul, simply that he was a religious man who followed the customs of Judaism, and yet he didn't know who Jesus was. He was actually persecuting him, and he was struck blind on the Damascus Road one day and heard the voice of Jesus saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? His life was radically transformed, and he went from persecuting Christians to telling everybody about the grace of God and the goodness of Jesus. And he went around planting churches, and then he wrote letters to these churches. And the words that we read, this is the word of God. It's actually God-breathed. And he used Paul to write these words like you use a pen to write a letter to someone. And so what we were going to read in a second is um, part of a letter that he wrote to the churches in Galatia. And I want you to see verse 22, and specifically the word patience, in light of its context in this letter, because if you'd have been if you'd been in one of these churches, if it was a day like today, and the church had gathered, someone would have stood up and read the entire letter of Galatians. You would have heard it in context. We can't read the whole letter tonight, but I do want to read to you, uh, beginning in verse sixteen, because Paul is contrasting what it's like when you and I live with God's Spirit controlling and flowing and guiding us, versus what happens when we just live in our unredeemed flesh. And so here's what he has to say. Verse 16, he says, he's talking to a group of Jesus followers, like most of you here tonight. And by the way, if you're here tonight, and somebody invited you, and you're trying to figure out who this Jesus guy is and what it's all about, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, He said he's the way, the truth, and the life. He changed my life. I mean, I, I would not be standing here today if it wasn't for him. I know he's real. I could talk for hours about how good he is. But he, uh, and he's the one that we're going to talk about tonight as well. Paul says, but I say, walk or live by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. 
For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. By the way, I'm reading from the New American Standard translation, so if you're watching the screen, there's a couple different words, but Greek has been translated into English, but they're very close. These are in opposition to one another. Verse 19, now the deeds of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, which, by the way, is why this shooting took place, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. (laughs) I think that's really funny. And the like. This is not an exhaustive list of the things that we are capable of apart from Jesus Christ changing us. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this or practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, verse 22, but look at the contrast here. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would be uh, with us as we think about what you say here in your word to us tonight. I just thank you for every person that's here that is here tonight. I thank you for so many young people being here, have so much of their life ahead of them. And so, God, you be our teacher. Use the word of God, and by the spirit of God, would you change us tonight so that when we leave here, we'll be walking in your spirit, and we'll be more like you even when we, than we were when we walked in. Lord, we've all found ourselves somewhere in that list that we read, the deeds of the flesh, and we're so thankful for your forgiveness. And I'm thankful, God, that if any man or woman is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old things have been passed away. Our sins have been forgiven. The new things have come. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right. At our church back home, we use the New International English Translation of the Bible, and it translates, uh, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is forbearance. It's a good word, but it's not a word most of us use. In fact, I don't think I ever use the word forbearance. Most of your Bibles say the fruit of the Spirit is patience. Patience is a word we use all the time, and impatience is something we understand. Would you agree? As we stand in front of the microwave saying, come on, come on. Do you ever do that? Am I the only weird one? Or you're driving down the freeway. I know you get this one. Oh, come on. I've got to be at work. And why is the traffic, you know, and your app let you down or whatever. And we get so impatient. But even the word patient in the way we understand it here in L.A. falls short of what this fruit of God's spirit really is. The New Testament was originally written in Greek, and of course, the challenge now is to say in English what it meant to the people who first heard it in Greek. And so patience, the way we use it, falls a little bit short. I believe the Old King James Version of the Bible actually comes the closest when it says the fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. Long-suffering. Let me give you a definition. And if you're here tonight, you think, you know what? I'm a pretty patient person. I'm easygoing. I'm mellow. I'm patient. Let's see if you still think you're patient after you hear the definition. Here is a definition of this Greek word, makrothemia, rather, translated patience. The ability to be wronged over and over again and not retaliate. 
<laughs> you laugh. When I preached this at our church, somebody in the front row said, wow. <laughs> Guilty. This is when someone hurts you repeatedly or pushes your buttons regularly and you have the ability to retaliate, but you choose not to. But that's not all. To be long-suffering is even more than not retaliating. It's the ability to endure injuries inflicted against us by others uncomplainingly. You see, it's one thing to say, you know, that guy really ticked me off. and I feel like I just want to hit him in the mouth, but I'm not going to because I'm such a wonderful person. Man, you know, this, this guy's such a jerk. You know, that's maybe how we might think we're being long-suffering, but not really. To be long-suffering in the biblical sense is to not retaliate, but not even complain about it. When I was asked to speak, we, we did a series at our church, nine weeks long, actually 10 weeks long, an introductory one, and then one verse on each of these nine qualities. I got assigned patience. I thought the Lord has a sense of humor because <laughs> I'm pretty impatient and hyper. Anyway, when I was asked to speak a whole sermon on one word, I thought, what am I going to say about one word for 35 minutes? But then as I started to study the Bible, have you noticed when you dig into the Bible, you just can't put it down because the unsearchable riches are there. The more you dig, the more you find, the more beautiful you see uh, how, how, more, how beautiful God is, and you just kind of want to keep on going. And so after a while, I had to just quit studying because I had too much to say. So tonight, I just want to give you, for our purposes this afternoon, rather, three things that I discovered as I looked at this word. And we like to say in our church, if you're taking notes, write them down. And if you're not taking notes, write them down, whatever. Just think about it. Type them in your iPhone. These are three things from the scriptures about patience. Number one, patience is a characteristic of God himself. In Exodus chapter 34, God tells Moses what he is like. It's a beautiful passage. Read it later. Early in the morning, Moses climbs to the top of Mount Sinai to present himself before God. And by the way, that's the way to begin your day. Figure out when you have to be out the door and then allow yourself some more time to get up and present yourself before God. Jesus himself did it. Even after an exhausting day, he got up, the Bible says, and went out to a lonely place and was praying there. He was talking to his father and listening. So here Moses is told to come up to the top of the mountain. So he comes up there, the Bible says, to present himself before God. And it says that the Lord descended in a cloud and stood there with Moses and called on the name of, as he called on the name of the Lord. Here's what the Bible says, Exodus 34, verse 6. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed... And here we have God describing himself. <clears throat> the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious. Look what comes next. Slow to anger. That's what we're talking about tonight. And abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. In Psalm 86, verse 15, David picks up on this same theme. He says, you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. Years later, when the book of Romans was read, Paul wrote, written, Paul wrote a letter to the church in Rome. He said this, that we are not to take lightly God's forbearance and patience and that his kindness toward us should lead us to repentance. First Timothy chapter one, Paul says this, he says, Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. <laughs> if you look at the Apostle Paul's life, the closer he got to the Lord, 
the more he saw his own sinfulness apart from the grace of God. He said, Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. But for that very reason that he was the worst, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited, what? Patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. He's basically saying, God chose me to show how long-suffering he was. So people say, well, if God can actually save that guy, there's some hope for me. And then one of my favorites, a verse I memorized as a new believer a long time ago, 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. You know, we forget sometimes that when we sin, we actually are sinning against God himself. How is that? Well, life is a gift. The very oxygen we're breathing is a gift. If you had some food to eat today, it's a gift. God made you. He provided this beautiful world for you to you to enjoy. Yes, it's in it's it's a fallen state right now because people have rebelled against God. But when he created it in the garden, it was perfect. And one day, it's going to be perfect again when Jesus returns. In the meantime, you and I as followers of Jesus are to be the light of the world. We're to be salt and light and point people to this good God. And when you and I sin, we're actually sinning against him because we're not honoring the people that he created or we're not living a life with a grateful attitude. And when we were busy sinning against him, God demonstrated his patience, his long-suffering toward us by sending his son to die for us. He literally didn't look down there and say, look at that Comer guy. I mean, what an idiot. I mean, he doesn't even care about me. Snuff him out. No, his long-suffering, he kept drawing me to himself, drawing me to himself, drawing me to himself, and I pushed him away, and I pushed him away, and then the day came when I finally saw the light. I'm sure people were praying for me, and God was good to me, and my life was radically changed. Aren't you glad tonight that God is long-suffering? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. I mean, if you're not happy about anything else tonight, just be happy about that. Patience is a characteristic of God himself for which I am eternally grateful. Number two, if you're taking notes, patience has to do with our attitude toward people. Um, When I was preparing this message, we had three of our grandkids staying with us for a few days. Uh, Our oldest son, John Mark, and his wife were in Iceland, speaking to a church in Iceland. So they were gone for about a week. And we had the kids. And we live, if you've ever been to Portland, they live really close to downtown. And we live out in a suburb called Lake Oswego. And I-5 in the morning is like bumper to bumper. And if you're from L.A., you wouldn't think it's a big deal, but everybody whines about it. It is kind of a pain. So it would take, you know, you never knew it was going to take you, you know, 45 or 50 minutes to get down there or 25. So we're having to commute, drop the kids off for school at 8. They're like 10, 8, and 7. We had to drop them off at 8 in the morning, and then we had to be back to get them at 2.20. So basically, we're driving all day, right? And so this has been going on all day, and I've been preparing the sermon. Finally, Saturday comes, and I'm not done with it yet. And Jude, the oldest, who's 10, he says, Pops, I have a soccer game today. And I go, I know, I know. Amma's taking you to it. He goes, well, you're going to come, right? I go, no, Jude, I really want to, but, you know, I, I got to finish my sermon. He goes, Pops, I really want you to come. What you got to know about Jude is Jude is like extremely charming. I have a picture of him right here. This is, <laughs> that's him giving the model look with my aviator shades on. But 
I mean, he could basically get you to do anything. So uh, I used to own a Mini Cooper, and I sold it, and I tried to buy it back, and the guy wouldn't sell it back to me. Anyway, I have this friend who owns a car dealership. He goes, hey, I got this, like, 2000 BMW Z- Z3 convertible that I can give to you really cheap. It only has 72,000 miles on it. So I bought it. Well, Jude loves to go on my convertible, and he wants me to put the Beach Boys on. Like, his favorite song is Fun, Fun, Fun. If you don't know what that is, that's okay. You weren't born yet. Anyway, um, so he's trying to get me to do it, and, and I'm just not. I said, no, Jude, I really can't. He goes, Pops, if you drive me to my soccer game in the convertible, you can tell me about your sermon, and I'll give you some input. <laughs> yeah. He's 10. So I said, okay. So I said, so I, we're going down. I go, okay, well, first of all, Jude, I'm going to start by reading this whole passage about the deeds of the flesh. And he cuts me out. He goes, the bad stuff. I go, yeah. And then I'm going to get to what I'm really going to talk about, but the fruit of the Spirit. And he cuts me off. Is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against those things, there is no law. My dad taught me that. What next? <laughs> and I said, I said, you should be preaching tomorrow. When I told him that I was going to explain that this kind of patience doesn't have to do with standing in front of the microwave, uh, uh, because we're, we're telling it to hurry up or being stuff, stuck in traffic on the way to school. He said, don't, don't do the traffic thing. <laughs> and I said, why not? He goes, because I like getting stuck in traffic because I get to miss school. So <laughs> anyway, moving on. This isn't so much about patience in trying circumstances. The Bible has a lot to say about that as well. But this word has to do with patience toward other people especially other believers in the church, in the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 13, which is God's another place where God describes what he is like and what his love is like, it begins with this very same word, love is patient. Another translation, love suffers long and is kind. Now think with me, the Bible says God is love. The Bible says Jesus is God. Therefore, Jesus suffers long and is kind. And if you know him, he lives in you. File that away for a second because I want to talk about it in a minute. You hurt me. Ouch. I'm not going to retaliate. You hurt me again. Ouch. I'm still not going to retaliate. I'm not going to hurt you back. I have the power and the ability to, but instead I'm going to forgive you. And I'm even going to be kind to you. Because kindness is the flip side of patience. If you have a coin, patience is on one side, kindness is on the other. If you study kindness in the New Testament, it's doing something useful for another person. God is kind. He's patient. And he does constant deeds of kindness for you and me. But kindness is actually doing deeds of kindness. It's not a a fuzzy feeling. You hurt me, and in response, I'm going to do something kind for you. As followers of Jesus, we're to be characterized by this kind of love. We're to model it. This word, by the way, macrothemia, was unique to Christianity. The early followers of Jesus were known for their love. It was said, those are the people that love each other. And people would join the church because they wanted to be loved the way the believers were loving each other. This is a new church. And I, this is something for you to practice this week. <laughs> How well are you doing forgiving each other, being long-suffering towards each other, and doing deeds of kindness for each other. You do that for each other, this place is going to explode. People are like, I don't know what those... When I 
Came there, I couldn't even get in the building because people were hugging me and smiling at me and offering me coffee and sitting with me and found out I needed something and they met my need. And, and, and that's what the early church was like. But this word was unique to Christianity because in the Greek culture, it was a virtue to tell someone off, to stand up to them. That was considered a virtue. Maybe you said to someone, hey, I really told him off. Well, if you did, you weren't being like Jesus. But we've all been there. People have heard us, pushed our buttons, and instead of manifesting self-control, we raise our voice at them or we lash out in anger. I know I have. You know, as I was preparing this message, an an incident came to mind where I did this very thing, you know, and when that happens, you ask God's forgiveness. You realize, Lord, I blew it. Even Moses, whom God called to go to Egypt to lead his people out of bondage and into the promised land. The Bible says, by the way, about Moses, he was more humble than anyone on the face of the earth. Can you imagine somebody saying that about you? God says that about Moses. If you want to look it up, it's it's Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. Even Moses, the most humble man on the face of the earth, whom God personally called to lead his people out of bondage into the promised land, He was denied the privilege of entering the promised land himself because of an outburst of anger. If you know the story, I don't have time to turn there tonight, but if you remember, God delivers his people, he parts the Red Sea, they come into the promised land and they're in the wilderness and they start grumbling and complaining. You let us out here to die and we don't like this manna, it's the same food every day. And they actually started saying, we want to go back to Egypt and if you actually study it, they liked the food better, it was spicier. They really forgot quickly they were slaves. And they got to this place and they were thirsty and they were grumbling against him. You brought us out here to die. We don't have any water. And he said, you're not grumbling against me. You're grumbling against God. And so here's what happens. God says to Moses, speak to this rock and water will flow out. And this happens twice in the Bible, by the way. The first time he speaks to the rock and water comes out. This time he... He gets angry, he takes his staff, and he strikes the rock, and God in his grace still causes water to flow out. The people have their thirst quenched. But then God says this to Moses, because you didn't treat me as holy in front of the people, I'm not going to let you see, I'm not going to let you go into the promised land. I'm going to let you see it off in the distance, but you will not enter there. And what he's really saying is because you didn't treat me as holy in front of the people. See, Moses was God's representative to the people. He was supposed to model for them what it looked like to be close to God and live in the presence of God. He was really saying because you misrepresented my long-suffering and instead expressed anger for them, there's going to be some consequences. And by the way, there's always consequences when we blow it, aren't there? And God is so gracious, and when we ask forgiveness, he's so quick to forgive. And if we've hurt somebody else, we can ask them to forgive, but there's always consequences. When someone hurts you or says bad or untrue things about you, because you have God's Spirit in you, instead of blasting them, instead of striking the rock, you can choose to be patient just as God has been with you. This kind of patient love never says, I've had enough. Because it suffers indefinitely, it suffers long. And this is how we're commanded to treat each other in the family of God. Ephesians 4 verse 2 says we're to show patience to one another or forbearance to one another in love. In Colossians chapter 3, we're to put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 
But we aren't to be patient just with our brothers and sisters in the family of God only. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14 says, Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men. And then Jesus took it even further, didn't he? He said, Love your enemies, be merciful to them just as your Father has been merciful. Okay, Phil, are, are you saying because I call myself a follower of Jesus and because I have his spirit living in me, I'm actually supposed to treat other people the way God treats me? Yes. Say that with me. Yes. That's what I'm getting at. Now you're getting it. Patience is a characteristic of God himself. Patience has to do with my attitude towards other people. And last this afternoon, number three, this kind of patience can only be lived out when I walk in the Spirit. So I want to talk about what that means for a little bit. We started back in verse 16. If you look back there, he says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Whoa, I read that a long time ago. Really? This is actually saying, if I will walk by the Spirit, I'm not going to carry out the desire of the flesh. Now, earlier we read verses 19 to 21, where Paul tells us the kinds of things the flesh is capable of, the kind of things you and I are capable of when we aren't living under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And they can become horrible things. And it's not an exhaustive list. Remember it said, and things such as these. If you examine the things in those verses, they're sins against God, they're sins against others, and even sins against ourselves. They're characterized by disharmony, disunity, and flat-out ugliness. The fruit of the Spirit, on the other hand, are qualities that bring harmony, unity, and beauty that cause a new church like this to become a family and a fun place to be. In short, it's the ugliness of the flesh set against the beauty of God's Spirit. And if you're walking in one, you can't be under the control of the other. Look at verse 24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Walking implies movement. As you go through life, you're walking with the Lord, you're living in His presence, you're living for Him, you're talking to Him, and He's leading you through your days. Walking in the Spirit is the same thing as abiding in Jesus. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Staying connected to Him. After telling me not to use the traffic example that day, I asked Jude if he had any other pointers for me in my sermon. And he thought for a minute, he said, give him a quote from Jesus. And I thought, that's a good idea. So here it is. Compliments of Jude. John 15. Abide in me. This is Jesus talking. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine... So neither can you unless you abide in me. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. What are we talking about tonight? This fruit of the Spirit, including patience. Jesus says, for apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He's talking about nothing that honors God. Apart from a work of his Spirit. But Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus, is when he said those words, he was in a garden. And he was using the analogy of what was right around him. He said, 
stay connected to the tree because I'm the trunk and you're the branches is another way of saying it. And he's saying, stay connected to me and my life will flow through you and you will bear fruit. Now, I'm not a farmer, but I know if I go stand in an apple orchard, there's branches coming off the tree and when it's time for the apples to appear, they appear and I never hear them making noise. I've tried so hard to be an apple. You know, no, they're just the life, the miraculous tree that God created. He provides everything it needs and it flows through and it produces fruit. And Jesus is saying, my love, my gentleness, my kindness, my self-control, my long suffering is going to become yours. And my love is going to flow through you to others. And that's what it's all about through the indwelling presence of Jesus Christ. This is the only way you and I can live this way on a, on a regular basis. Jesus is our power source, but he's also our example. Jesus never asks us to do anything that he didn't do himself. I want you to turn to one other passage, and then I want to give, tell you a short story, and we'll be done. We're almost done tonight, trust me. But if you do have your Bible, turn to the right to 1 Peter chapter 2. And if, if not, no worries, we're going to throw it up on the screen. You just finished a uh, series on suffering, I heard Lorenzo say. Whenever I talk to somebody who's suffering, especially if somebody has hurt them deeply, I send them right to this verse. I said, you need to read this verse and you need to meditate on it. You need to memorize it and ask God to give you the ability to live it out. Jesus is always our example. And here's what 1 Peter says about him. Now, Peter was one of the apostles and he was writing... Uh, this letter as well, what we call First and Second Peter. But he said this, What credit is there, this is in verse 20, For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? In other words, if you do something wrong and a big mess happens and you say, oh, I'm just going to patiently endure it, so what's the big deal there? But, listen, it goes on. But if you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, This finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. That word example, by the way, if you study it, 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 it actually means copy your life after Jesus. Trace your life after him. Here it is, verse 22. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. Here's what he did do. But kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. While they were crucifying Jesus, nails in his his hands, nails in his feet, they were mocking him, hurling abuse at him. You say you're the son of God. If you're the son of God, then just get down off the cross. Prove it. They were mocking him, hurling abuse at him, murdering him. And while that was happening, what did he do? He never sinned. He didn't revile in return. You don't read in the Bible that Jesus said, you guys just wait, you're going to get yours. No, he said, Father, what? Forgive them. They know not what they do. His heart was breaking for his creation, whom he was shedding his sinless blood for, And they were pushing him away and mocking him. And instead of reviling in return, he said, Father, forgive them. Wow. This is the Jesus way. This is the Jesus way. 
And you and I are to shine like stars to L.A. And I don't mean stars like American Idol or whatever. I mean like shine and stick out because the love of God is flowing through us and the peace of God. And yes, we're going through hard stuff just like they are, but there's this peace and there's this difference about us. And everywhere we go, we're representing him and it becomes a beautiful, beautiful thing. Jesus is our example tonight of what patience looks like. He's the one who gives us the power to actually live this way. You say, yeah, but what if you're in like a really, really bad situation? Is this possible? Let me tell you just a real quick story, and then we'll wrap up tonight. I, uh, I had a, a best friend. He, we, were, we could not be different. I grew up in California. He grew up in Arkansas. He played football. He grew up on a farm. He was like wild. I was like city boy, musician, drummer. And when I was playing in a band when I was 15 years old, he was 15 years older than me as well. He uh, came up to our band. We couldn't even drive yet, right? And he goes, uh, you boys need a manager? He had this southern accent. And I was like, who are you? But he was like huge, like six foot four and ripped. I wasn't going to argue with him. Uh, and before I could say anything, he goes, well, I'll drive you around. I go, that's cool because we can't drive yet. So he became the manager of our band anyway. And he and I for nine years became friends. And then we came to Jesus together. We were baptized together. And we started having kids together. Or we vacationed together. And I would say he was my best friend in the whole world. And then I moved to Oregon. You know what happens when you move like so many, you don't see each other and you have new friends. You kind of tend to drift apart. But if you ever see an old friend like that, as soon as you see him, it's like yesterday. You know, he was like that. I didn't see him a lot later in life. But he was walking with the Lord. But then he took a turn. He got into real estate. And there was this good looking chick in his office, whatever. And he started hanging out with her and having lunch with her. And then pretty soon he starts fooling around with her. And that led to him moving in with her. He left his wife. And this was after he was, you know, coming to church and following Jesus. And all of his friends were talking to him. Hey, this is wrong. You need to go back to your wife. And, and um, I knocked on his door one night. You know, he could like kill me with one hand. You know, it's like, I was like, hey, go back to Marlene. His wife's name was Marlene, you know. And he just looked at me, you know. And I remember it because he's like six foot four. And he, he had like a glaze over his eyes. And that's, by the way, what habitual sin does to you. It's like you're, you're not walking in the light anymore. And, and if, you've, if you've grieved the Holy Spirit too long, you get to the point where you're quenching the Holy Spirit. You don't even feel guilty and you're kind of not walking with God. So I wasn't getting through and I didn't know what else to do. And uh, his wife's brother was a pastor. And finally, after this went on for well over a year and... But it was really strange. He would come by her house, Marlene, every week to make sure she was okay. He was paying the house payment, being responsible while he's fooling around with this other girl. It was really wrong and bad, sad. And so finally, there was no indication he was ever coming back. And so the leaders of the church said, you know, this is what the Bible has to say about divorce. And, you know, we're not going to tell you to divorce him because God's heart is always reconciliation. But you're, as far as we understand the Bible, if you choose to do that, you have our, our blessing. We, we, Jesus gave you permission to do that here. You know what she said? She said, no. I love him, and I'm going to wait. I'm going to be patient. I really believe someday he's coming back to me. And so this went on longer, and people kept telling her, you're crazy, and, and this isn't going to happen. And I watched Marlene 
She read a book on how to win a wayward husband. Anyway, she waited. And then all of a sudden, like some like drunken person wakes up out of their stupor. He like came to his senses, got rid of the girl, stepped back, repented before God, came back home. And then he had like 15 years of joyful service to God. And then he died two months ago. And I went to speak at his funeral. Now, I'm not going to tell you that those years that he messed up, well, that's okay. You know, he came back to the Lord, so who cares? No. Whenever we walk away, there are scars, there are consequences. God is gracious. But he came back and had these fruitful years. And then I looked at her and I thought, you are a model of long-suffering. Now, I'm not in any way, so I don't know you guys tonight, but, you know, we all have been touched by this kind of thing in, in our, sometimes our immediate family. I'm not saying that's what... Every woman should do in that situation by any means. I'm just telling you what one woman chose to do that she was able to do because of the power of Jesus Christ who lives in her. And what a beautiful story it became of reconciliation. And I, I got up to speak at his funeral. They asked me to speak at the funeral. And I just got up. I had all these things I wanted to say. And I said, I want to tell you about my friend. I just started bawling in front of like 400 people like in a baby. You know, later on, he was still doing real estate, even in his later years. This one lady who wasn't a follower of Jesus, who worked with him in the office, said to Marlene, that guy that got up there, his friend, what's wrong with him? <laughs> so I said, next time you see her, tell her that Jesus wept. <laughs> John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. And he wept because he loved Lazarus. Just tell her I wept because I love my friend. But I saw a beautiful picture of long suffering, <laughs> of patience, as I watched that take place. And how could she do it? The Spirit of God. Whatever you want to call it, walking in the Spirit is what it's called here in Galatians 5. Abiding in Christ, abiding in the vine. Jesus called it in John 15. My godly wife's term, the with God life, she calls it. It's not like, hey, I read my Bible for 10 minutes, now I'm going to go do my thing, God bless my plans. No, it's like walking with God, the with God life. That's the way to live. How do I actually do it? I constantly confess sin when I blow it and I surrender my life to him. Now, I know some of you are married. How many of you are married? Raise your hands. Okay. You married people? Trust me. You will have a chance this week to practice this. Right in your marriage. You know, I'm not a fan of this thing where they're writing books. The purpose of marriage is to make you holy. And that's why it gets so hard at times. Because God's shaping you into the image of... That's one of the purposes of marriage. The other one is to have a blast. And to, you know, the physical part and the companionship part. But it is partly to make you holy. The Apostle Paul, in another letter, he was arguing for the value of staying single. And he said, but if you've married, you haven't sinned. But you will have trouble in this life and I'm trying to spare you. That's what he said, which I think is really funny. So you get married and you're still in the process of becoming like Jesus. Because when you first get saved, you're saved from the penalty of sin. All your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. Is that amazing? And one day when you're with the Lord, you'll be saved from the very presence of sin. But right now, you and I need to be saved from the power of sin on a daily basis. We have God's spirit, but we still have this earthly body, the flesh. That's what Paul's talking about here. That is not yet redeemed. One day, we're going to get our new glorified body. Everyone who knows Jesus is going to spend eternity with him in a garden-like city forever and ever. And you will be delivered from the very power of sin. In the meantime, we have to choose to walk in the flesh or walk in the Spirit. And when I choose to be filled with the Spirit, 
when I confess all known sin and I come to him and I let his love flow through me, good things happen. And I pray that that's what your life will be like this week. And you'll get opportunities to practice it, to not retaliate, to not strike the rock. You'll be like Marlene, who in her bleakest hour did it the Jesus way. You'll be slow to anger. You'll be a person who's long-suffering. And by the way, God really likes people who follow him like this and who are long-suffering. In the book of Proverbs, it says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. As far as God's concerned, say, I'm a a conquering general. Man, I took over this whole city. God's not impressed. You can be a person who's long-suffering and slow to anger. He's very impressed because you are like him. So this week, do it the Jesus way. Live the Jesus way. You'll be the first one blessed. And then you will be a blessing to the people that you come into contact with, starting with those you are closest to. You'll be glad, and they'll be even more glad. Trust me. All right, I'm done. I can say a whole bunch more because I just already love you guys. I don't know if I'll ever get invited back, but I love you. Let's stand together. I want to pray for you tonight. If you just stand and put your stuff down, and while the band comes back up, I want to pray over you. But before I do, I want to ask you, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I want to ask you three questions. And you don't have to, but if you want to, maybe just open up your palms and just hold out your hands before the Lord, just saying, here I am, God, I'm yours. My hands are yours, my feet are yours, my heart is yours. And here's my three questions. Who is he asking you to be patient toward this afternoon? Who is he asking you to be patient toward? And chances are, it's someone who's hurt you. So my second question is, who is he asking you to forgive just as you have been forgiven. And the third question, when is he asking you to do it? I don't know the answer to the first two, who he's asking you to be patient toward and who he's asking you to forgive, but I do know the answer to the third question right now. For some of you, if you sat through this message, maybe some hurts have come up, maybe some harsh words, and God is saying, this is the person that I want you to do a deed of kindness for. This is the person whom I want you to forgive. This is the situation that I want you to be long-suffering in. And I don't know what that means for you tonight. It might mean some of you are going to pick up the phone and call somebody and say, hey, I want to ask your forgiveness for my outburst of anger the other day. And, you know, God showed me all the great things about you, and I want to be your friend. I don't know, but I know he's going to speak to you if you say, Lord, I want to be like you.